What's up, folks? You're listening to another episode of Hitting the High Notes, Utah Jazz Talk. It is I, Hootran. Um, and um, you know what? It is ironic, in a way, to say that uh, I welcome people to Hitting the High Notes. And as a jazz fan, lately it's been hard to hit the high notes. Um, uh, I'm going to bring on Mr. Go the Distance 49 on Twitter, Jared. What's up, Jared? Oh, lots of low notes recently, huh? Yeah, it's been it's been a very weird. Like you know the meme out there where it's like January, uh, Kobe's death, March, the yeah. pandemic, May, murder yeah. horse. You know, like it's for like jazz fans, they have a very similar calendar uh, with the coronavirus. <laughs> That's pretty true. Um, injuries, or, like, people, or it's like the different versions of Frieza or whatnot. Yeah, it's just like I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we're about to hit the final form, hopefully, of um, uh, all the bad news here. Um, I'm going to bring on some guests, and then we'll talk about the big news that ha- happened this morning, the very sad news. So first of all, I, I know this is an awful setup, but uh, uh, a regular guest, someone that we love having on, um, uh, hitting the high notes. It's been a while since he's been on, but we have to bring on Mr. Dan Clayton. Dan Clayton, how are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, yeah, suddenly we had this big drought for basketball news, and then all of a sudden um, there's a lot to discuss in Jazz Nation. So um, I mean, it's fun to be back and uh, a lot to talk about, although, you know, obviously some of it is not hugely positive news. Um, so I'm sure we'll sure we'll get into some fun stuff, some sad stuff and, and all kinds of stuff. Right. And um, uh, as then alluded to um, uh, the, the, like the it's like the dam broke. Right. <laughs> like the water yeah. was just building up, the dam broke and now it's rushing through. Um, I decided Dan needed a partner in crime. So I, I invited uh, a guy that's doing um, uh, the Tour de France with Dan virtually, the, the Zoom Tour de France. Um, uh, two people doing it. It's Ken Clayton. Um, uh, Dan, uh, Dan and Clayton, I, I want to say you guys are brothers? That is, that, that's, that's the rumor. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, um, uh, two, you brothers. Guys two, two brothers. brothers. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Ken, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Just... Uh... Watching everything from afar down here in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I always keeping up on the jazz news, although it's been, like everybody's alluded to, uh, pretty light for a while, but now we're heating up not in a good way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's hard. And, uh, boy, you, we all kind of woke up this morning uh, to hear the news uh, of Jerry Sloan, uh, legendary Utah Jazz coach, passing away. Uh, just about a week ago, too, um, uh, Carl Malone and John Stockton had kind of let the cat out of the, out of the bag that Jerry Sloan was. Um, this wasn't a, a huge surprise, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's, it's still very sad. Uh, we've all, if you're a Jazz fan, you know who Jerry Sloan is. Uh, even our youngins are really, he, he's a staple about to get a statue at um, uh, the ESA, Delta Center, whatever it is. Um, does anybody have any stories? I've never personally met. Jerry saw myself, which is very sad. I never got the pleasure, but um, I, I've been reading stories all day on Twitter about people telling their their journeys. Do you guys have any Jerry Sloan stories that you like to share? Uh, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I have I have a lot ranging from, I guess, mildly interesting to crazily mundane to, um, you know, more fun. Just because of the years I spent, you know, obviously covering the Jazz from up close. My first year where I was really covering all the games and, and, you know, doing locker room interviews and, and talking to Jerry pregame, postgame, et cetera, was the 0304 season, which as you guys all know, is the first season after John retired and Carl Malone left for LA. So it was that season that the jazz were supposed to be, um, 
you know, pretty bad. And then they surprised everybody largely because of Jerry Sloan's perhaps most masterful coaching job. So, you know, starting that season and really until he stepped down in 2011, I probably interviewed Jerry, you know, a few hundred times, just counting, um, you know, all the, all the pregame and postgame scrums. And that's not to, I don't want to sit here and pretend like I knew him really well or, or like, you know, there are a lot of other people who are grieving today far worse than I am. So this isn't about me, but obviously, you know, I just had a lot of contact with the guy and, and ability to really see um, really what he was about. And, and um, you know, first of all, how he treats people and, and how he treated me when he had no reason to treat me well, by the way, because I was this annoying little 23-year-old twerp who thought I knew things and didn't really know things yet. Um, but, you know, just, just about how he thought about basketball and, and his role in the game and everybody else's role in the game and the things that mattered to him. And, um, you know, so I, I think I have a lot to, I, I have a lot of experience with him on that level, but, um, you know, before I run off and monopolize and, and share eight years worth of stories, I, I don't know if anyone else has anything specific they, they wanted to share. Jared, um, uh, do you have anything to, um, uh... Get there. Well, the the only time I really had a chance to interact or meet Jerry, he was taking pictures with some other fans, and I was like, "Man, that's really going to be time consuming for him." And so I was like, I was like maybe ten feet away, and I just saw him being so magnanimous with people, and just like so nice. And I'm like, I'm like, man, that is really in contrast to how intense he was on the court. And I was just like, this must be how he is interpersonally with people, because. Pe- because people would never talk about Jerry being like a tyrant or anything like that. I mean, he was a hard ass on the court and who worked hard and, you know, expected his guys to work hard, but um, nobody ever talked about him. Like he was some kind of mean guy. And I was like, man, that's just like, that's, that must be like what normal everyday Jerry is like, you know, right. <laughs> I had a friend one time tell me that she saw him in Walmart and she was, he saw her face and he like turned <laughs> to like because he didn't want the the attention and the adoration and stuff like that like he would give people of his time like when he was at the arena and stuff like that but he if he was out and about he didn't really want attention on him it's kind of kind of funny uh ken clayton i'm uh i'm gonna give you some time here uh i'm the flip side of dan dan's experience i have uh never been in the same room with jerry sloan unless you count the uh the arena uh but that's a very large room uh, so I've watched him from afar, apparently being the brother of a guy who interviews him doesn't get you much. Oh, man. <laughs> what kind of lousy brother is that? I thought Ken was going to say, um, uh, you've never seen me and Jerry Sloan in the same room. So, you know, they're probably the same person. Uh, Dan, do you have any, like, you have, oh, you have they could st- be the same person. <laughs> right. Oh. Dan, do you have a good story you want to tell? I mean, uh, you know, again, like, I don't know. I don't know what's interesting to me versus interesting to everybody else. But I was thinking today, I was trying to remember, I was trying to pinpoint if I could recall the earliest memory I had of interacting with him. And I don't know that this was like the first time I actually dared speak up in a, in a coach's media scrum after a game. But I remember that first season. And it, and by the way, if you remember like who was covering the jazz at that point, right? Like they were all grown ups. This was before, the, the blogosphere had really kind of become legitimate and it was before the the PR team of the jazz was letting in some of these more alternative publications and things like that. So really when you were around the jazz media room, you were around like 
newsroom pros and guys who'd been doing this for 20, 30 years. You were, you were standing next to Tim Buckley and Phil Miller and Brad Rock and, and even like the local TV guys in that era were the same TV guys who had been at those stations since the finals years and had covered Jerry through all that. So it was like, he was surrounded by like pros, pros. Right. And then there's this so, like, so hang on just one second, Dan. So back yeah. this up even more because you were only one or two years, I think removed from your first experience covering using air quotes, the jazz yeah. was you won the contest in the desert news and you yeah, were literally yeah. sitting next to Tim Buckley and he's, you know, telling you, you know, I'm sure he wasn't, too overbearing but i mean he's you know you're you're there as a as just a kid who won a contest yeah yeah exactly. and then and then a year or two later you're in this scrum with yeah, him rep- representing yeah. a different publication okay so go that ahead. was my that was my first game that i ever covered was in 2002 and I, I, I was a guest of the desert news um because again i i won a contest um and and that was kind of the night where I was like, man, I got to find a way to do that. Like I had never considered like, I'm going to actually cover sports up until that, that night. And that night I was like, man, that, that, this is where it's at. So anyway, fast forward and I'm, and I'm actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm on credential. I'm going to every home game. I'm interviewing Jerry. I'm talking to the players after games. And one of those nights early in that season was a night that Kirilenko, um, Andre Kirilenko, that was the year that he kind of took over the reins of a young team that didn't really have a superstar leader. Um, and it was, and it was a night that Kirilenko had had, I don't know, six or seven assists, maybe um, not, you know, he didn't, he didn't go Oscar Robertson or anything, but he had done a bunch of good stuff with the ball. And, and I didn't, at that point, I was still pretty nervous because of who was around me. And because I was this cub reporter who, who wrote for a, an outlet that nobody knew and all that. Uh, so I, I didn't, you know, often I would go to the scrum and I wouldn't even ask Terry a question. I just wouldn't muster up the courage. Right. Well, this night I, I said, to, I, I had spent the whole game thinking about this great premise of a question and about how, um, you know, this was the era of like Chris Weber. People used to talk a lot about the point forward role and how, you know, the, positionless basketball. And if you have a point forward who can see the floor and can make plays from the elbow and from the post and all that, do all these things that it completely changes the game. And so, yeah, I went into the scrum and I, and I spoke up and I started this like lengthy premise about, you know, you guys really seem to enjoy using Andre Kirilenko as a point forward. And tonight we got to blah, blah, blah. And I'm in the middle of what must've been a really long preamble. And Jerry just cut me off and was like, yeah, I don't really care what we call it. You can call it whatever you want to call it. We just like it when the ball's in his hands. Good stuff happens when we <laughs> throw the ball in his hands. And I think that, you know, like that was representative of my eight-year interaction with Jerry was just, you know, he never made it feel like, who are you to ask? You know, like, like you don't have the, the credentials yet to bother me with a question. Um, but at the same time, you know, he was gruff and he, and he would, he would bat down the, the premise of a question if he didn't like the premise of the question. And, and he was no nonsense and he didn't, he didn't care about your flowery, how you wanted to package. What was that? He was just going to give you the no nonsense basketball answer. And, you know, most of my, most of my personal stories with Jerry outside of what obviously all of us have viewed from the outside, most of my interactions with him go something like that, where it was me trying to, 
you know, put something in, in a broader context so that I could write a great article about Andre Kirilenko, the point forward, and him basically saying like, you know, dude, this is just basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's the epitome of Jerry Sloan, it sounds like. I mean, Carl, John, Sloan, Jerry, um, those are the Jazz big three for nearly two decades. Um, I do have two things. So one of my followers wanted to say, and so I'm going to preface this now that I'm going to beep this out for the listeners. Um, there's two throw words here because, I mean, it's Jerry Sloan. So I guess some uh, curse words it seems appropriate here. Uh, Tori Ellis on Twitter, uh, Dragon Squash says, fuck Huey Brown, um, which is in relation to, I, I, I want to say, to that same season, the 0304 season, where I believe Jerry Sloan had made a really good case to become coach of the year. And the fact that he never won it, I mean, he never wanted to win it, but really he probably should have had at least a couple in his lifetime, especially that to me, that 0304 year where he worked magic and um, uh, almost turned a, a jazz team that was supposed to be a bottom feeder into a playoff team. It was something um, of legend in itself. Uh, the second thing is uh, my friend Paul from uh, college, he went on to become, after college, he went on to work with the jazz in the video editing department. He ran the Titantron for them for many years. Uh, so he told a story about how he had to do a commercial shoot with Jerry Sloan and the bear. And it was something to do with Jerry Sloan's swear jar. And um, uh, I've seen that. I've seen yes. that. And so I, I think that all it was like, was the bear there, the jar, Jerry Sloan walks in, reads a paper that has the quote unquote rules of the swear jar. And his line is, well, this is bullshit. And yeah. then and walks out. Right. And Paul or whoever the director was, I don't know if Paul was directing or he was just there, but they asked him, for another one for safety. You know, when, you, when you're in a video, you, you do multiple takes so you can get another one. So they said, hey, Jerry, can we get another one just for safety? Because he, he did fine the first time. So on the second try, Jerry Sloan um, uh, uh, does added a line. Some but extra. Yes, added like, a, like two or three more lines of profanities to it and said, is that good? And then just left. And, you know, that's just Jerry. <laughs> you know, there are stories about Jerry being Jerry. Um, like, Dan, you told that story. I was like, yep, that sounds just like Jerry. Like, People who grew up as jazz fans, they know, like they, I feel like they can know who Jerry was just from seeing him in the media and hearing these stories about him. Because nothing I've seen today has been like, oh wow, like that's a, that's a new side of Jerry I didn't really think of. Like this is all stuff that, you know, just it, 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 we we kind of know who Jerry Sloan is, and so um, sure. he lived. Uh, you know, it, it's sad how he passed and um, everything. His his last couple of years dealing with Parkinson's and um, uh, dementia. Um, but, uh, our rest in peace, Jerry Sloan, that's all, that's all I got to say, really, I think is, um, uh, we all have great stories. Please share it and keep his memory alive, uh, for jazz fans. So can, can I make one more quick point about that? Oh, three Oh four season. Yes. Just cause again, you know, you're, first of all, you're right. That was a, a masterful coaching job. He did that year. Hubie Brown had a good year too. That's the problem with coach of the year is that yeah. the criteria is, are subjective. So you could, uh, you could grant the award based on a bunch of different things who won the most games, who did the most with least, who did this, who did that. So it's fine that Hubie won it, whatever. But the thing that I would say that was most fun about being around that team. And again, like you're talking about the best players on that team were Andre Kirilenko and Matt Harpering and Matt Harpering missed a bunch of games. The guard line was like Carlos Arroyo and Raja Bell and Raul yeah. Lopez. And the front court was guys like, Ben Handlogton and they had Tom Gugliotta for a while. I mean, it just wasn't a glamorous roster. And then somehow they, they rattled off 42 wins and almost made the playoffs. And what was most fun about that season is 
seeing Jerry rediscover, and, and he talked about this, like this isn't just me extrapolating from the outside. He would share all the time that he was rediscovering how much fun it was to do the teaching part of his job. Because with the John and Carl Jazz, you know, that was a team that, that knew what to do. And it ha- even though they had role players coming in and out, they had strong enough presences in the locker room that Jerry didn't have to do a whole lot of, you know, hey, here's how we play and here's what we stand for and all that. And all of a sudden he had this young group that, that did need teaching and did need to learn the pro game and learn how to be impactful at that level. And he used to talk to us about how, um, how much fun that was. And and I think that runs counter to a lot of people's perception of Jerry Sloan, that he kind of had no patience for people who didn't show up knowing exactly which screen to set and where to cut and how to defend and whatever. But, uh, he really got a lot of enjoyment out of that. And, and the players that were part of that team, um, you know, seemed to all really enjoy that side of him as well, which is is one that I don't think we we equate with Jerry enough. So I, I was trying to think of a transition, like you know, you know, we just we came off the really hard subject there, and I was like, oh, you know, we should transfer uh, transfer to some like better jazz news. But man, like it just feels like nothing has gone right for the Jazz for a few months here. Um, just earlier this week, uh, the Jazz announced the NBA Jazz announced that um, uh, starting forward Boyan Bogdanovich is having season-ending surgery on his wrist. Um, and part of the reason that I dislike Twitter is that that you know Woj or Shannon put it out there. I can't I can't remember who put it out first. Um, uh, put the story out and. Like for the first hour, when there was no details, a lot of people came up with just a bunch of different theories of how it happened, and it was just like I was like, well, let's wait a minute and see what actually happened, and when we finally got the the story that he actually heard it in January, and for whatever reason, um, uh, May is when um, uh, they decided to get surgery, which again, uh, Dan, you talked about it, Ken talked about it. There are different reasons of why, but. Um, well, Ken, um, uh, what are your thoughts about Boyan getting the season-ending surgery right now? Well, my first thought when I heard season-ending surgery was this was kind of an unnecessary announcement. But of course, I do I do believe that if everything goes well, the season is coming back. But it was just kind of funny timing when it's been over two months since we've even seen an NBA game that they're saying season-ending injury. Um, obviously, if and when the Jazz do come back onto the court, it's going to hurt the team. Uh, we know that their lineups had seven guys who were more or less positive contributors to a basketball game. And other, when other guys came in, things fell apart a little bit. And, and Bogdanovich was one of those seven. So it's certainly going to be a, a, a problem if and when they come back to finish a regular season or certainly if they you know come back and, and, and get into a playoff situation because you lost a 20-point-per-game guy. Yeah. Dan, I'm a, like you – we're trying to put some fires out with the Boyan news. Um, uh, how do you think the Jazz fare when they get back into uh, what's left of the season? And um, uh, is this a, this a move just basically to get Boyan ready for next season? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to be clear, with the fires I was putting out was just you know people. A lot of people were I think unduly upset that the decision was made now as opposed to two months from now, and I just sort of reminded people that like things change and the situation two months from now might not have, or two months ago might not have warranted 
surgery and and obviously they didn't have face-to-face contact with Boyan for a while so it sounds like this is something he re-aggravated while he was in quarantine away from the team and and it probably was it, it probably didn't until they got back together and they could see how was it, how it was impacting his his play and his comfort level, that's probably when it became clear. So that I mean that's the fire that's worth putting out. The fire that is absolutely still there is the fact that this is going to have a big basketball impact. Like Ken said, um, I think the person that it's good news for is Joe Ingles because I think Joe had yet to find really a groove of where he could fit in and contribute when everybody when all of the other ball handling wings and guards were healthy. Um, you know, he played great for a while when Mike was not healthy. He's, he's, but when Mike was healthy and Boyan was healthy and Don was healthy and Jordan Clarkson was there post trade, all of a sudden it was, it was kind of, like there weren't enough basketballs for Joe to really have the same impact on the game. And so I, I think this will be good for him. Um, it'll give him a position, to, you know, put him in a position to get back um, to being more confident in what the team needs from him and to be more assertive and, um, you know, hopefully play more efficiently as well. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's just, you know, like Ken said, it's, it's tough to go into the playoffs. If you look at most real contenders, most real contenders probably have seven or eight guys on their team at minimum who, who would be starters on, you know, half of the NBA teams, right? You you know, Houston had guys last year, like PJ Tucker coming off their bench. He doesn't anymore, but, um, you know, Austin rivers, who's been a starter. He, he comes off their bench. You look at the golden state teams, Toronto that won the championship last year. Like all those teams have starter caliber guys coming off their bench. You could argue that the jazz had seven before this injury, and that's defined a little loosely because I don't think Jordan Clarkson is really probably starter caliber in, in that sense. He's good. He's valuable. He does what he does really well. But but now you've got six, and that's even if you're kind of defining that liberally. So, um, you know, it's going to be tough. It's, they're going to have to stretch out minutes somewhere. Um, that could mean one of the younger wings that's, that's mostly been um, with the Stars this season might actually see some playoff action. Um, but I, you know, like Ken said, they're just not going to snap their fingers and fill a 20 point per game hole to say nothing of, you know, positionally what he does um, because he stretches the floor at that, at that big wing slash small power forward position. Um, so, you know, what he does spacing wise is just as important as the times that he actually individually puts the ball through the metal circle and, and all that's going to be tough to replicate and replace. Right. And Jared, um, with this Boyan news, like, you know, I've said it many, many times that I thought the jazz chance of winning championship this year, probably in that, like, you know, less than 5% range, uh, with the Boyan mm-hmm. injury. I, I do agree that that probably lowers the Jazz's chance to win a championship this year. Um, but I kind of feel like that was going to happen regardless. Um, can you do you think this is not maybe a positive, but do you think the Jazz can turn this into something to help them um, uh, in the long run? Well, I don't, I don't know because I think that it. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a ceiling lower. Um, so in terms of making the second round or not, now it's basically like how many games do you lose to in the first round, um, or do you lose in the first round? Uh, 
you know, are the Jazz even able to push the Thunder or whoever it ends up being to seven? Um, so it, it feels like uh, the, the only way to make this a positive is, is if this is if is if you see a an even more improved, which I don't know how you can really improve on Bojan from this year. Maybe a little bit of the inconsistency goes away because he's fully healthy. Um, and I think I remember reading that it was it ended up being December that he officially got hurt, but I think he got diagnosed in January. I don't know. It's a lot of a lot of information out there about that. Um, when I first saw the Boyan news, it was it was initially after. Um, uh, let's see what 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 else happened the same day. Boyan news comes out. This is the night after the last episode of The Last Dance airs. Hmm. The remaster. Did you guys watch Game 6, the movie? Yeah, we're going to get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, we're, I'm sorry, what, what was that? What, what about the Boyan news? Came after what? Um, well, I just remember that like two things happened at the same time, and I saw the other thing first, and then I was like, oh, man, this book. the Walt Perrin news. Yeah, like, I saw that Walt Perrin news, and I was like, uh, and then I saw people talking about something. I'm like, this is this all about the Walt Perrin news? And then I see the Boyan news, and I'm just like, oh man, right? Well, that's <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that changes a lot this year. I don't know how much it changes next year. Um, yeah, it came. Um, uh, it hit. Um, uh, I mean, again, like the Jazz fans have just been getting blow after blow this week. Um, uh, um, I don't know. I to spin it into some sort of positive. Um, we talked about. Uh, Dad just talked about it. Like Joe Ingles getting. More, the Jazz have a starting rotation now. I mean, it's going to be Rudy, Royce, Joe, um, uh, Mike, and Don. Like them, um, it's just—it's yep, been one of those weird right. years where we've had to mix and match. The Jazz have had to mix and match, trying to figure out what starting lineup to go with. Um, it does hurt though because now you, you're missing a guy off the bench, uh, as Ken said. Um, the power forward spot is uh, a spot that the Jazz don't have that much depth behind. Uh, no, definitely not. Yeah. Like Juwan Morgan, is he going to come and play some spot minutes? Or I mean, we obviously, the Jazz obviously with the playoffs coming up are going to stretch everybody's minutes, uh, as Dan said. Plus, but you know, there's got to be a few minutes that are going to have to go to somebody uh, like Juwan, Tony Bradley, and and Rudy Gobert in the same in the same lineup. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what who they're going to put at the power four spot there. Ken, uh, do you have any ideas? I think you're probably going to see you know some minutes for Morgan, some more minutes for. George Niang, then we've yep. seen going in. I mean, those are going to be probably your two biggest guys. Maybe if you go small and you really, you know, a lot of people jump to uh, Brantley. I don't know, just because we've seen so little of him. And I always assume there's a reason we've seen so little of him that they're not going to just suddenly say, oh, you get 15 minutes a game or even 10. Um, but those, yeah, are those he, he's are definitely not polished from what I have seen him on the stars. Yeah. yeah. Those are the names I'm thinking is those three guys are going to be in a, in a group that's going to have an opportunity to play alongside Rudy and, and uh, Tony. And I just can't imagine you're ever going to see Rudy and Tony out there together. My, my boy, Drill Brantley. <laughs> I've been on that bandwagon for a while. Um, and so, yeah, as, as Jared talked about just a minute ago, uh, the news uh, coincided with a name that I don't know if a lot of jazz fans knew before it happened this week. Uh, Walt Perrin. Uh, leaves as uh, the VP of personnel, I believe, for uh, for the Jazz uh, to take an assistant well, GM job. I think you're right. Unless people follow the draft, 
um, they wouldn't have known his right. name. Right, and, and he's a name that pops up like basically during draft season a lot. Uh, he's a guest on a lot of um, uh, radio stations, news stations during the draft, but uh, he's a guy that is really uh, unknown. He, I mean, But he's probably as instrumental as Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck in the process. So Walt Perrin was the VP. I want to say a person. I'll, I'll look it up real quick. He was the VP person for the jazz. He was the guy that did a lot of the scouting for the jazz. Like he would go to anyone that had, like we heard stories about um, anytime there was a prospect, Walt Perrin was there in person watching. Um, uh, Dan, did you have any um, uh, idea? Like, um, do you have any Walt Perrin, like a- anecdotes about um, knowing who he was before uh, he left for the Knicks? I mean, I, I didn't know Walt Perrin um, outside of like I've we've probably sat at the same table in the in the press room, you know, a dozen or a couple dozen times just because there's a finite number of tables. So you've sat next to everybody at some point. Um, honestly, I, like I don't I didn't have a relationship with Walt, but I do know that he is a big part of you know, there, there's like the scouting part of the organization and there's the decision part of the organization. And I think Walt kind of sits at the crux of those two. So he headed the scouting department. So he was responsible for, you know, the network of people who were out keeping their eyes out around Europe, keeping their eyes out around the college game, scouting other pro leagues, the G league, um, NBA summer camps, all those sorts of things um, to, to find guys who they felt might be a fit And then, you know, that would all filter back to Walt and then he would take that back to the decision-making arm of the organization and, and help make the decision about who was actually going to be the plan going forward. And, and obviously, you know, he's had just a long list of objective successes when you think about, um, you know, both he and Jerry Sloan were instrumental in the jazz landing an all NBA center with the 27th pick in the 2013 draft in Rudy Gobert Walt, because again, he was instrumental in finding Rudy and, and, um, you know, getting him in for a workout. And then, and then I think Jerry, there were things that Jerry liked about his approach and his mindset in the interview. And, and at least anecdotally, it sounds like Jerry was one of the people who really blessed that decision, but Walt was in the middle of, you know, the jazz falling in love with Donovan and trading up to get him in the late lottery in 2017. He was a big part of the jazz making great second round snags like Wesley Matthews and Paul Millsap. No, wait, excuse me. Wes Matthews was an undrafted free agent pickup, but again, that's part of Walt's department, right? Making sure that when they have to fill a training camp roster, they have a long list of guys with whom they can fill a, a, a training camp roster and then someone got hurt that year and Wes Matthews, who was supposed to only be there for camp, uh, wound up sticking and, and making the, the regular season roster and then ultimately earning a rotation spot and becoming an NBA mainstay. So like that's the kind of success story that Walt Perrin's career is is full of. And it's hard to know exactly, you know, how what percent of each of those successes is attributable to Walt versus someone on Walt's team versus you know, Dennis and before Dennis, Kevin O'Connor and after Dennis, Justin Zanuck and all those things. Cause a lot of people have to weigh in on these decisions, but the jazz have just done a pretty good job of maximizing, um, especially their, their later draft assets, right? Like they've, they've missed on a few lottery picks too, but they have consistently nailed later picks and, um, and really gotten some great finds in the Walt Perrin era 
And that's obviously part of what the Knicks are hoping to, uh, to bring to my city, is, um, <laughs> but not my team because my team's back in Utah. Right. Um, you know, the Knicks are hoping to tap into some of that draft expertise. Right. Walt is a, a guy. So not only like, so Walt is the guy that goes to scouts. Um, there's a reason why you don't hear a lot from uh, Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck during the draft time. Like they're not the ones going on the press tour. Walt Perrin is the guy making the rounds to, you know, the zone, uh, channel five, channel four, channel two, all the news stations around here. Like he's the guy going there. And, um, anecdotally, the, the anecdote I have is that, um, the news station that I, I was able to work for, um, when he came in and did an interview, he's like, out, like they record their sports uh, show 10 30 at night to get down around 11. He'll sit with you till, you know, midnight, midnight 30. Um, and if you want to sit and talk with him, jazz basketball, he'll t- sit and talk with you. Um, I, I really hope I'm not giving too much away uh, telling the story, but yeah, like, no, you know, you're last not giving off- enough away. I want to hear, the, I want to hear details from these conversations. Uh, I mean, last off season we, we talked about, so this is like during the draft and last season, um, like he would say, okay, so what do you guys think? What, what, what should, like he asked us as part of the media, what we think we should do. And I can't remember what shooting guard, I, I put out there, it was a, probably like J.J. Redick or something. I said something, someone that I thought could come in cheaper, and I said, because oh, I, I didn't know the Jazz were going to turn their $14 million or whatever, or like their, their $20 million cash space they had last year and get $50 million worth of players back. But I said, okay, you can get this guy and this guy, fill up the cap space, and then, then he's like, well, what about point guard? Uh, do you think Donovan Mitchell is ready? And he and I you know, had a, a little back and forth about point donovan and it gave me insight to where the organization thought of donovan mitchell as a point guard you know if, if they thought he was ready and then the the thought i got was like all right cool so they kind of think or at least Walt parent kind of thinks that donovan mitchell as a point guard is not a, a full answer um and they really wanted to get somebody and we talked about mike Conley. we talked about but he didn't drop any like he was so good at being answering our questions but literally i want to say maybe the day after or the week, at least the week after that's when the jazz got not only Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich. I was like, I was so shunned. Even though I talked to this guy for an hour and a half, threw out a bunch of theories, talked about a bunch of different NBA players and the jazz still, um, uh, he was still so tight lipped that the jazz got Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich and the jazz are very good at not leaking this stuff. So it's like one of the things that we all left thinking we're a lot smarter going, okay, so the jazz are looking at this guy. Cause we talked Tobias Harris and D'Angelo Russell, we talked um, a lot. Of, we talked about Mike Conley, but he never dropped any hints that a trade was imminent. We we only talked mm. about trade and why it didn't go forward um, at the trade deadline. It's so crazy. So hopefully, I don't know. I don't know if um, uh, we'll have that kind of access again. I, uh, I don't because I mean, again, this is a guy that spent an hour and a half. He didn't have to spend an hour and a half um, uh, talking basketball with a bunch of media guys, but he did. And so yeah. you know, just I, I know Jared likes to Especially roast. For you who... Yeah, what's up? question for you was your was your uh was your uh i mean did you did you ask him let's see what 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 answers did he give you about the trade not going through for mike like it was was it a bunch of the same uh, stuff that hearing? we've heard you know just okay. all, all the stuff that we heard like him mean, it just gotcha. didn't work out and yeah i mean there's nothing nothing groundbreaking that uh, <laughs> i was going to share or anything so it's like all right yeah he just kind of he kind of confirmed that things just fell apart and it just it is what it is, and um, yeah, uh, I know Jared likes to roast the Knicks um, uh, because uh, uh, I don't. He just <laughs> oh, that was a good it. hire, man. I, you gotta give him yeah. credit. That was a good well, hire. The, the Knicks have have kind of put together, you know, they got they got 
a new GM. They've got a new assistant GM. Um, and I know there's a lot of talk on Twitter. Not a lot, but there's been some talk on Twitter that this is a move that the New York Knicks are pursuing. Uh, of course, they should pursue Donovan Mitchell. Every team should be pursuing, uh, you oh. know, other stars. Yeah, let's just, whatever we do, can we can we not discuss Ben's take? Because, <laughs> like, why? Well, I, I, I think there's some good reasoning. Like, he's, he's put together some research, and I, I do appreciate the research that he's put together and said, okay, they hired Donovan's agent. They hired, like, but I, I, I think stuff like that can be blown out of proportion, too, like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Donovan's agent being the GM of, uh, you know, or uh, having ties with the Knicks d- does something. Maybe the guy who scouted the guy, uh, Donovan Mitchell. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Donovan Mitchell and Walt Perrin have a really tight knit relationship. This is like Gordon Hayward, basically. I, I think this is the Gordon Hayward syndrome, where Gordon Hayward has hurt the Jazz so much that. Any ch- like little sign that the superstar might bolt, jazz fans can't cling to. Ken, do you have a, a, a thought on that? Yeah, you know, at this point, it's not something I'm losing any sleep over. Um, with the Knicks would have to become a lot more relevant before I think Donovan Mitchell would consider going there, even if it is his hometown team and Walt Perrin is there, and you know. I just I'm not going to lose any sleep over it for now. Plus, the Jazz have control of his contract for at the very, very least two more years. If he and that's if he signed the qualifying offer and said I'm getting out of here after five years. So yeah, it's it's I'm not going to be concerned myself with it. If if Donovan doesn't take a max extension, and I don't mean max money, but I mean you know max years. If he says, "Oh, I want an out after one year or two years or whatever," then you know you start to worry, and that's what Hayward did. He he had the out after three years, so you start to worry. Okay, are they setting themselves up to get out of here? But right. uh, and, and that, as of today, not losing any sleep over Donovan Mitchell going to the New York Knicks. And that's the thing. It's, it's so many. Like here's the thing: in three years, a lot of stuff can change. Like maybe the Jazz are just not very good in three years. Like something happens and the Jazzers don't make the playoffs for three years. Don't uh, say that. I, I, I know it, it sucks putting it in the universe, but that's the thing you have to think about. That there are things that could happen in three years that changes the situation, um, and so we we can't we cannot predict all of it right now. Like you hope that the Jazz are going to be good enough in during that time that Donovan Mitchell says, you know what, this is the team that is best. All you can do is best build the team around the player and hope that that's what keeps them there. So, uh, you know, well, the jazz did it with something. So, well, it's funny that you say things could change and it's like, yeah, they could change exactly like all the fans have been clamoring for. They could trade somebody <laughs> and that would change right. oh. things a lot. And, yeah. and, and again, better. like I'm a, I, I can't tell you if things are going to be better or worse right now. Right? I mean, there's just so many factors and yeah. to worry about something that is really just so far away down the line, like I'm uh, again. Let's like said, don't don't lose sleep about it, fans. Like I bring it up just because I saw people talking about it, saw people being worried about it, and I just want to say, you know, you can if, you, if you're right. Hey, it's America. You don't you, you don't want to you want to worry about it? Go for it. But um, uh, you know, I'm just saying, there's a lot of things that could happen, and here's some other points of view about um uh, Donovan to the Knicks. So. Thanks for listening to this episode. Also, thanks to our Utah sponsors, the Off-Broadway Theater in downtown Salt Lake and the Great Room Escape in Layton, Utah. 
If you have a second, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. It helps us podcast out, and we will enter all written five-star reviews into a drawing for free tickets to either the Off-Broadway Theater or the Great Room Escape. Just write a five-star review, and you'll be entered to win. The reason that we we brought uh, the Claytons on, twin brothers, by the way, if you don't know, not twins. Not twins. Come on, who? Come on. Don't exaggerate I heard a that. Who we were. I did. Like, um, when someone said you guys are twin brothers, it threw me for a loop. I go, really? I, I could have swore I talked to Dan. And he said it wasn't his twin brother, but you guys played it off really well. So I was like, all right, twin brothers. Uh, well, uh, one of us, one, the one who's 11 years older than the more good-looking one, <laughs> um, that one to- likes... That one likes to pretend we're twins because it takes 11 years off of his age. The other <laughs> one, the, the good-looking, articulate, funny, really intelligent one, um, that one would prefer everyone know that we're not twins because I don't want to get charged for the extra 11 years. <laughs> but just so you know, we, um, we took, just, just in case anyone wonders if there was any funny business and we're not actually full brothers, um, you know, like, nice milkman or something like that um we took the we took <laughs> the 23 mom wants to complain about this line of answer. <laughs> i i think it's safe to say mom is not going to listen to this so i'm just gonna uh, but we did I'll, take I'll the, we did the uh we did the 23 and me test um a couple of years back and the test actually came back and said we're actually the same person so oh, no wow. doubt there so anyone who knows uh, I guess so. our senses of humor and our analytical styles and our Twitter nerdiness and our longtime jazz nerdiness and all those things, rest assured, we're, we're basically, um, we're basically the same person. So I guess, I guess the year of, uh, the year of Dan's birth was the year that human cloning was perfected, huh? <laughs> Must've been. <laughs> Something like, like that. It was like that well, llama from the nineties and, right, and me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Clayton's. So um, we we're bringing you on because like so, so obviously with the pandemic, everything going on, um, and actually because of Daryl Morey's comments about China, you know, which happened actually earlier this year. Surprise, surprise! I know um, the NBA salary cap was going to fluctuate, um, and I so I'm worried or not worried. I, I'm wondering because um, uh, we have a Rudy Gobert Supermax extension to talk about. Uh, a lot of Jazz fans are worried about Jordan Clarkson resetting with the Jazz. And I'm uh, as I've always been a proponent of the Jazz had some cap space next year with the MLE, and I want to say the biannual exception to get some players to help their um, team for next year. But how does the salary cap changing change the trajectories of those um, points I just made? Uh, well, I, I mean, so the short answer is it's way too early to know. So if if you can indulge me, I'll take a minute and explain. Um, what would happen with the salary cap, the way the rules are written. And then I'll, and then I'll explain why, why everything I said in the first minute doesn't matter and, and probably doesn't apply here. So in a normal scenario, what happens with the, um, with the salaries that the, that the NBA plays its players. So the, the league and the players union have already agreed to the percentage of revenue that players get across the league. That's already baked into the collective bargaining agreement. And so what the league does is it holds a percentage of every NBA player's paycheck so that at the end of the year, they can say, 
okay, if we pay out everything that we've held in escrow throughout the course of the season, will that put us above the percentage or below the percentage or right at the percentage? And then they'll pay out the appropriate amount so that the players get exactly what they in the league agreed to the last time they collectively bargained that revenue split. Um, now, in a year like this, where all of a sudden revenues are going to be way down, if there's ever a shortfall, meaning the, the money that they withheld in escrow is not enough to, they, they, meaning revenues dropped by so much that even if they kept all that money that they held in escrow and didn't pay the players that money, if even then they're way above the percentage that, would, that should go to the players, in that scenario, what they do is they take the difference, they take that new shortfall amount, and they roll it off of next year's salary cap. So based on that, what would happen is the players would the players this season would never see a penny of their escrow holdings, right? Because we know that the NBA is going to be a lot less profitable this year. So the, the, the players would never see those escrow holdings. And then next year, they'd have a salary cap that was already lower because of lower revenues and then got artificially lowered again by that shortfall amount. So that's, that's the what would normally happen explanation of the salary cap and, and why it could start to get hairy. The reason why something that extreme probably won't happen is because there are also provisions in the CBA in the collective bargaining agreement that basically say if something like this happens, if some major world event, force majeure, if some, some crazy thing happens that causes, um, that causes revenues to drop sharply from one minute to the next, that the NBA and the players union have the right, and even kind of in a sense, the legal obligation to sit down and negotiate in good faith and find a way out of it. So that's why a lot of people that are connected to the, to, to the league's thinking assume that there's going to be a series of proposals put out to the players' union where, for example, they keep the, they keep the salary cap flat. So they kind of artificially juice the salary cap for next season, as opposed to dropping it by however many tens of millions it would need to drop by, um, by the letter of the law. Um, so they may do that. They may, you know, basically there are a lot of artificial ways that they can kind of skate through this. And, um, and I think they will, I think all sides here, are in agreement that the league was in a good place before all of this stuff happened, even, even before, you know, even taking into account the China stuff, which was awkward and hurt some revenue streams. But, you know, people were making way too much money before this pandemic crisis occurred to just, you know, to go into a negotiating stance where we're going to have another lockout while people hardball the other party, so I think we're going to we're going to find some middle ground that allows teams to still move forward in a relatively normal way next season but but it will be money will be tighter for sure than it would have otherwise been and what that's probably going to mean for teams and and then I'll shut up and we can all talk about the impact it's going to have on the Jazz I, I think the impact it's going to have broadly is that teams who might have had cap room won't and teams who might have had the the willingness and the ability to use certain salary cap exceptions might now have to think twice about using those exceptions because they might not have the room to use all of those exceptions without triggering the luxury tax 
Um, so money's going to be tighter everywhere. Um, you're not going to see, you know, if, if there were players who were on the bubble to get eight figure salaries before all this happened, now there's probably fewer eight figure salary slots to go around. So, you know, some guys are going to get squeezed into smaller salary, um, you know, salary positions. And, and a lot of players are talking about how next year you'll probably see a lot of one-year contracts signed. So players kind of betting on the fact that things will bounce back by the season after, and then they can sign lucrative long-term deals. Um, so it's going to be weird for a while, but like I say, I don't think it's going to be as dire as you would think if you just took the, the, the collective bargaining the cap calculations very literally. I think the NBA will negotiate around that. So sorry if that was long, but you guys, no, you guys no. still awake there? Yeah. Ken Clayton, I'm a, do you have anything to disagree with your clone? No, no. <laughs> he he got the big picture. I mean that that's exactly right, and that's the way everything sounds like it's going to lean is they're going to keep the cap flat. Now the now even though that's semi good news, it's still bad news because everybody was expecting the cap to jump. You know. A couple million, five million, just depends on the year. And now that's likely not going to happen. It's going to stay flat. And yet, Mike Conley's going to make more than he did last year. Rudy Gobert is going to make more than he did last year. Um, basically, everybody who still has a contract is getting a bump up, except for right. Joe Ingles. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, well, so how does this affect the so? Again, the Super Max contract extension for for uh, for Rudy, Donovan Mitchell's um, uh, extension coming up. Um, again, we talked about so Dan just mentioned that team those exceptions may not be able may not maybe rethinking about using them. Plus, some um, of uh, the Jazz with them. Um, uh, so as far as I can understand it, the Jazz could have used their exceptions and then re-signed um, uh, Jordan Carson with his bird rights if he found the deal to be to his liking. Even though he's not a restricted free agent, the Jazz would still be able to give him um, a little more incentive to re-sign with Utah. Do right. do you guys think this in uh, do you think this messes with the Jazz offseason plans in a huge way? Probably. It impacts them, whether it messes with them in a huge way. I don't know if I'll go that yeah. far. So before, the Jazz had probably somewhere like 22, 23, 24, 25 million to play with up to the luxury tax threshold. Now they're going to be I think a little about, less than that with draft yeah. picks and things like that. Well, but yeah. but yeah, it depends on the draft pick. I mean, because they could try to shed that. But I'm talking about the one, two, three, four, five, seven guys, eight guys under contract, under guaranteed contract for next year. They're at 112, 113 million. And so now they have about 20 million, just a little less up to that luxury tax threshold. So now you've got to say, if Jordan Clarkson costs me $14 million, and that's just a number I'm throwing out there. I can't remember if that's his cap hold or what he's making currently. That's about what he's making currently. So if he's going to cost me $14 million to keep, am I happy with that and only having $6 more million to spend to fill out yeah. my roster? Yeah. So or, I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Ken. I was just going to say, or do you, gotta, do you have to go to Jordan Clarkson and play a little hardball, or maybe it's not hardball. Maybe you say to Jordan, "Hey, we'll give you. A, uh, sorry, this this isn't our first choice either, but we'll give you ten million this year, one year deal, and we can talk next year. And you can't promise anything legally, but you go to him and you say, "We'll give you ten million. Then you can still use your MLE because the, you can add two guys. But but then how are you going to? You still have to fill out your roster with three, four, five more guys. Even at the minimum, they count against the luxury tax." Right. Yeah. So, so I think, I think Ken's right. Like even before this, it was going to be tight 
for the Jazz to pay Clarkson his market value and right. use the full MLE. Um, and and now I think it's going to be borderline impossible. Like now I think you probably, unless you can talk Jordan into, and let's remember that like Jordan's market now it looks a lot drier than it did before the crisis too. So right. because a lot fewer teams are going to be in a position where they even could give him 14 million if they wanted to. So now, unless you can convince Jordan that, Hey, the market looks different, come back and play for a smaller number, then you're probably deciding, do you need to go use the, the MLE to get a big, or do you keep Jordan Parks? And it's probably in most scenarios, it's probably one of those two that you can do again, unless, unless Jordan will take, We'll take a discount that might not be that huge of a discount now that the market has changed. Right. And uh, Jared, we've talked about this um, uh, almost any time we talked about Jordan Clarkson and, and the offseason. Um, we mentioned how, you know, the Jazz could. However, it, it's, it's not a matter of salary cap. It was always a matter of luxury tax and how, how, how close the Jazz want to be towards that luxury tax. Um, so with all the options that you've heard, like, what are your thoughts about the Jazz offseason now um, uh, with a possibly new salary cap that we, again, we don't know for sure, but these are the the theories that we have. I think it makes it, I mean, like both of the Clayton brothers are saying, it makes it a lot more difficult for the jazz to maneuver and do what they accomplish, what they want to accomplish. Cause I feel like uh, they probably had the same sense of what fans are feeling. It's like that we're a player away from really having that solid eight, eight really good you know rotation players that you feel like you can win with in the playoffs and now it doesn't feel like you're going to have enough money to to go and get that eighth guy right and and you've been a much bigger fan of jordan clarkson on this podcast than than i have um yes. I, I i've always thought the price has this changed like just conversation in the last 10 minutes has this changed perception about whether or not Jordan Clarkson is the right fit for the Jazz bench at the price, um, uh, you know, I always just assume that you know players are going to try to get the most money they can and they should get the bag. Uh, let's say that number is fourteen million, and that does take away the Jazz ability to get, say, Favors back. I know, you know, I, I don't know if Favors is taking the MLE next year or not, but I know this is this is like the dream scenario for for Jazz fans to bring back Derek Favors and get Jordan Clarkson back, but. If it's one or the other, um, uh, where where are you drawing the line in the sand? Where are you going to draw the line in the sand? I, I don't think you give Jordan Clarkson fourteen million. I mean, I've always been a proponent of he he was overpaid before, and now that he played with the Jazz and his market's gone up because he's fit really well in this role. Look at how terrible he was for the Lakers and for Cleveland. Well, I mean, not terrible per se, but he didn't fit. And I think he fit here well because he could be. He was surrounded by a lot of good defenders, and like his creativity just really, I don't know, it blossomed in this format. So does he really want to give that up and go play uh, again somewhere else where he might not fit for more money? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know what his thinking and what his what he's feeling. So I really don't. I don't right. know. I feel like speculating on what he's going to do is kind of fruitless. I know, and, and I, 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 I think it's maybe because we're in late May, and uh, you know, by this time, my, my NBA mind is already looking towards free agent acquisitions and the draft. Right, it would normally be right now. Um, Ken, what do you think the Jazz? What do you think the Jazz are going to do with their options? Like, just uh, a kind of a gut feeling type thing. 
I think they probably make a, a run at Clarkson at a much smaller number. I think probably in this, in in the 2020 post-pandemic, post-Daryl Morey world, he's probably around an MLE player anyway. So can you get him for $10 million and then use your MLE or most of your MLE to go after, whether it's a, a Favors or another name we've heard Tony Jones say, there's a non, non-zero chance that the Jazz will be talking to Mark Gasol. Um, so, you know, you can bring in a contributor. Now, if you had to choose Jordan Clarkson, and Mark wait, Gasol. Wait, he actually said that? I don't I, well, I don't think I saw him say that. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was back when yeah. they were still playing. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, look, I, if you search his timeline for non-zero yeah. and Gasol, you might <laughs> find Gasol. that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, but I don't know, you know, do you want to say no to a Jordan Clarkson to say yes to a 35-year-old guy? Mark Gasol's a pretty good, pretty good guy, but is he a guy who's going to be good consistently and for how long anyway those are the decisions they're going to have to make but i think they probably make a run at getting keeping clarkson and getting one more contributor even though the money is going to be a lot tighter to do so now yeah bring back paul Millsap. i'm saying it right now um dan um uh <laughs> do you, um, he's a free uh, agent next year isn't he uh, a, on a two-year like 60 yeah, million dollar deal or something. Option, yeah our team option uh dan i'm uh so same question to you do you think the jazz do you think it behooves the Jazz to try to use their MLE to get some players, some uh, possibly, or what do you think the biggest hole for the Jazz is this offseason to fill? Is it Jordan Clarkson? Is it the MLE? Or is it, you know, using both those to, to get that team back? Yeah, I mean, it's just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, right? Like, the Jazz have a major, major front court depth problem, even now, like even today, regardless of what the roster looks like next year. The Jazz have one, really, if we're honest about it, they have one rotation quality true big man in Rudy Gobert. Right. They, the guys who get power forward minutes on this team are guys who aren't really power forwards in the real world. Bojan Bogdanovic and Royce O'Neal. The guy, and, uh, and George Nyang plays some power forward. The only backup center is Tony Bradley, and he's probably not like fully rotation ready yet. So the Jazz have a serious big man problem. That has to be a higher priority than who your fifth ball handling guard is going to be, right? Because I get like, look, Jordan Clarkson was hugely important this season because he rescued the jazz at a time when Mike was hurt and other things were happening and the bench was broken and, and they needed a guy who could come in and manufacture a bucket. And that's what Jordan Clarkson does at a really high level. Um, And he doesn't do a lot other than that at a high level. And I just think that, if you assume that their team is going to be complete going forward, meaning you've got Don, you've got Mike Conley handling the ball, you've got Joe Ingles running pick and roll, you've got Boyan Bogdanovich back healthy for camp, which he's supposed to be back healthy for camp. I just don't know that you need Clarkson the same way that you need. Um, I don't even, you know, favors Gasol, whatever. You, you, you know what? Like Jay Crowder is a free agent and Jay Crowder is a more legit power forward in today's game. Jer- uh, Jeremy Grant of Denver is about, he's about to expire off of a contract that is, um, I haven't looked recently, but it's like nine or 10 million, which means he's all, he's basically making mid-level money already. So you could probably yeah, go. He's, he's on a pretty generous, I mean, pretty uh, like you, you could probably, you could probably get him because he's yeah. getting paid very little, right? I, yeah. I just think, 
I just think you could do something really meaningful with that mid-level exception. Mm-hmm. And then still, by the way, like it's fairly easy in today's NBA. I don't want to say easy, but like you can find a backup point guard who, who can keep things steady for 15 minutes a night. You can find that pretty cheaply. I, I think that paying Jordan Clarkson eight figures would be a misallocation of resources at a point in their roster. I mean, they've got some roster imbalance issues right now. And, uh, you know, I do think that it's at this point, it's more important to spend money up front. I'd be inclined to agree with you. I hear and Dante X. I hear Dante X was a free agent next summer. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm yeah. just gonna drive right by that. <laughs> yeah, same. I think, same. I think too many people. Like, yeah. who is just trolling right now? Like, he, he has one more season left on his contract. He has one more left. Oh no, yeah, that's right. He does have. That's right. Because that, <laughs> that's why the Jazz traded for Jordan Clarkson. Um, uh, Ken. Um, uh, any last um uh, salary cap free agent um uh, uh things you wanna uh, impart uh, uh, embark with us here? Impart on us, excuse me. No, I'm I'm the the optimist in me isn't really fully prepared for off season yet because I'm still kind of hoping we're going to have a season, even though there are risks and, and you know in the in the in the wider world associated with that. I I kind of hope we get to see some basketball before uh, before we have to actually worry about free agency and draft and all that. Oh right, right. Real quick before I even uh, I I don't know why I forgot this is it was the biggest well not the biggest the second biggest news for me today was so somebody I, I even think Bleacher Report put it out there too that they're like oh Joe Ingles says he refuses to play uh, he would he would oh. quit basketball and move back to Australia blah 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 I was like yeah they took yeah, they took a two month old quote and. Yeah, so um, I tweeted it out. I, 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 I was like, this is so out of context. And um, I got the Joe Ingles bump. When Joe Ingles yeah, retweets. retweet. I know. And like, um, even people were like, um, uh, the Memphis be- a Memphis beat writer even messaged me and said, hey, dude, hu- huge retweet. I was like, what are you talking about? And I looked at it like, oh, it has a, has a, has a really good pro <laughs> likes on this. And so, uh, again, like, so being in the, in the market, being in the media, like, we saw that. And I'm like, oh, my God, how did they take this all out of context? And make it sound so bad. It's Bleacher but, Report, man. I just expect that from right. them. So um, uh, we are, but we have heard from even Spencer Dinwiddie kind of said it sounds like they're coming back in July. So the the idea that July and September will be the the end of the season, probably seventy games we're thinking, and then playoffs and then another short season starting. And personally, I I, I like I love when the NBA starts in December. Like the, something is just magical when the like, when game one is Christmas Day. I don't know. The That's last time that cool, happened, actually, it's really a, it's nice. cool in a way, but at the same time, I don't I don't know how much of my summer I want uh, on the NBA. <laughs> I mean, it's already. I mean, we you're you're you're, you're going to lose most of your summer anyway because the pandemic's not going away anytime soon. So no, I mean, I mean like future summers. Like I think it's only just one season. I think they're just having one shortened season. Next year, that's 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 the idea I got. But Dan, Ken, Ken, how do you guys feel about um uh, the NBA coming back for possibly seventy games, playoffs, and a short season for twenty one, twenty two? I just reached the screen on Netflix that says you have nothing else to watch. Go read a book. <laughs> so if if they want to put NBA basketball in front of my eyes, I will take it. However and whenever I can get it, I'm I'm joking, of course, and and obviously, you know. Um, Joe's right. It needs to be done the right way. Joe Ingles is right. 
it needs to be done the right way. We need to protect players, their families, their wives, their kids, all that stuff. Coaches, their families, staffs, um, referees. But like, look, we need to take this seri- seriously. We need to be responsible. But I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth if that gift horse is bringing me NBA games. Uh, Ken, Ken even joked about going to Las Vegas to watch games. <laughs> I, I swear, I can't believe how many times I've fallen for that, where I see, you know, the, the Western Conference might be headquartered in Las Vegas. And I'm like, oh, cool, I'll go see a game. You're stupid. You just said that for the 20th time in your own head. And yes, I do have this internal monologue going most of the time. <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, it's good. It, it could be big that's for... A great, that's a great monologue. Um, I, I, I mean, we all kind of have the idea that... that the, the NBA has to get the 70 games for each team, right? It feels like that's got to be done uh, for revenue purposes and TV revenue purposes, correct? It seems like they want to try, although the last thing I was reading just before I went on my ride tonight was that there still is talk that the that the lottery teams may not return, uh, even though they'll be short on their 70 games and that will oh, get, wow. get revenues. Um, it, that's just still back and forth because you look the, the team that I keep looking at is the Atlanta Hawks. They're next to the last in in the league, and yet they've got to come back and prepare for three weeks to play three games to hit seventy. Oh, you know, yeah. what, what's your motivation? Your team's going to hold out top players, and it's going to be a joke anyway. So, maybe, and then what if? And yeah. then what if your you know assistant trainer gets COVID nineteen? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There, there is a lot of downside for situations like that, and perhaps it's more than the upside. I, I don't know how they'll weigh that. Yeah, uh, and it's gonna, it's gonna affect the, the race for the eighth in the West. Uh, we had five teams who were within four games, but that was when you had, you know, 15 games left. Now it's only five games. It's, it's pretty much, yeah, like I mean, the Blazers are, might be out of it. So. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. That's a whole other podcast that we'll have to get into. But I want to thank the Claytons for coming on. Um, uh, uh, not twin brothers, maybe maybe clones. <laughs> um, uh, Dan, what are you up to nowadays? Oh, you know, uh, mostly staying inside. Going, we've gotten to the point now where we're comfortable going on walks around the neighborhood. Obviously, with the proper protections and all that, we go on bike rides. But it's been uh, it's been a weird spring here in New York City. Um, you know, I, I live not far from what they call the epicenter of the epicenter, which is just you know a county away in in Queens, um, and even here in Brooklyn where I live, the the numbers have been pretty scary. So we've just been uh, we've been playing it safe, man, and trying to trying to protect ourselves as best as we can since we have a a little guy here at home now that uh, we're, we're just trying to keep everybody safe and uh, you know, right and and, and, and survive the the basketball drought. Yeah. So uh, obviously down part, part of like one of the big, the big hotspots in the United States for uh, COVID uh, obviously Jared and I are in Utah where it hasn't, hasn't really exploded. Uh, um, it's not really very red in the map, but uh, Ken, I, I think there were some lockdown. My brother lives in Arizona now and he, he was Ken is in a literal hotspot, you know, yeah, it's, it's literal flames down there. Yeah. <laughs> How are you holding up Ken? And um, uh, are you, are you ready for everything to get back to somewhat normalcy? Yeah, I don't think we've been that much different from 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 Utah, even though technically we did have an order and technically Utah didn't have an order. I think that how it manifests itself was pretty much the same. So mostly staying at home. We set up our employees to work from home for mid-March and they're still there. And uh, we're, you know, just trying to keep things running, trying not to go out of business and trying to keep ourselves healthy. 
So um, I want I want you guys to promote your Twitter because I know you guys. Um, so if you follow Dan, he's always great. He interacts with Jazz fans. Uh, Ken, um, uh, as well. Ken does a lot of um, uh, you know, the flights. <laughs> we probably won't see those tweets for a while yeah, about exactly. late flights coming in. But um, uh, where where can they find you on Twitter, guys? We're both deferring here. I get. Yeah, I'll, I know. I'll go, I'll <laughs> no, go. you go. No, you go. No, you go. I'll go. I'll, I'll go first, and then I'll let my older twin go second. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I gotta look. Do I have an underscore in my Twitter handle? I can't even remember. Uh, you do. K I underscore Clate. Yeah, at K underscore Clate. I was. Uh, I would confuse my email and my Twitter handle. One that one has the underscore, one doesn't. Uh, so K, K underscore Clate. Like um, uh, that way you know who you're talking to. Um, uh, when you get onto onto Twitter there. Uh, Dan, what about you, man? And this guy is at Dan Clayton with a zero for the O. So Dan Clayton zero N because some annoying British guy has Dan Clayton. So, you know, uh, you know we, we can give you the Riley Geisman treatment where we can go yeah, and try to. Yeah, the Riley campaign. We can, we can block and report the other guy. And I'm see. Well, he never tweets. That's the other part of the problem. That, yeah, that's uh, that's, that's, that's a major problem. He that just, has, that he just right. has my my name locked up so that he can, uh, dang, you know, follow follow other people. I guess Twitter. Um, uh, let people have these names. Like, um, uh, there's got to be some sort of grace period. Like, if you haven't had a Twitter activity, yeah, if you haven't tweeted in like five years. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm sure he uses his Twitter. I'm sure his name is Dan Clayton too. It's all, <laughs> you know, it's it's fine, it's fair, but um, but yeah. It, so for the, in the meantime, I have a zero in my Twitter handle. And I was just gonna say, Dad Clayton was a, he was sort of uh, is that an Olden Polonies or is that Greg Ostertag? Ostertag was double zero, right? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we, Olden Polonies, Anis Cantor, uh, right? There well, you, go. you know, Nigel Williams Goss, right? Am I making that <laughs> oh, up? Oh, Olden Polonies, he actually tweeted at me one time. I said something about him having stints with the Jazz, and then he he corrected me and said that it was longer than stints, and I was like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, officer. Um, yeah, right? uh, <laughs> that would have been a great reply. I wish I had replied. I'll argue it, and he'll get the taser out. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jared, I'm, uh, you know, you go. This is 49. Um, uh, are you are you gearing up for fantasy football football season yet? Uh, no, Hugh Tran Superman. I am not. Oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not really in a dynasty league, so I don't I don't yeah. worry about it. It's us dynasty um, that are, are doing fantasy football. Like, I'm like, oh my god, who are these rookies? Was, I actually kind of, I'm kind of glad I got out of the dynasty because uh, uh, redraft is much easier to win. I, I won my first ever championship this year. Yeah, yeah redraft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm up. But literally, my my one of my dynasty teams said the same thing. He said, he said, I love redraft leagues because it's free money. I said, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, Clayton, I, I want to thank you guys very much for coming on. Uh, it's been it's been a rough day for Jazz fans. Um, but thanks for always coming on, being gracious enough to come on. And um, I, we were about to go visit Ken Clayton uh, in April, uh, go see the Suns and Jazz play. This obviously didn't happen, so we're yeah. very sad. But we're, we're, we're still going to reschedule that trip, man, and come and come see you. I hope one of these days we uh, have some basketball back in the Valley of the Sun, and you're more than welcome down here. All right. Uh, again, Dan, thank you for coming on and, and talking. Sorry. And um, uh, you know what? We'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.